0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to session six of our study of Revelation. Um, The aim today is to work through chapter 12 and 13. Um, I am a bit sensitive and aware of the fact that the last one was too long. Um, So if this starts to get long, it'll be because it's good. Um, But we will break it into, we may break it into two parts. We'll see. Um, I'll hand over to Hannah. She's just going to pray for us um, before we start. Okay.
1: Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that um, mm-hmm. it is your living word. Um, thank you that um, you speak to us through it. Thank you that um, through it um, we can understand and see the world as you see it. Yeah. I just pray that your spirit would be with us as we speak about it today, and um, your spirit would be with everyone who hears it. Um, yeah, that we would just be able to discern it um, the way that you would want. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Okay, um, these I think these two chapters are really, really encouraging um, and, and very, dare I say, very interesting as well. Um, in, in terms of where we've come, we're now at a um, new section of the text where John will begin um, a new picture of history for us. We've seen a series of these already, but this is the beginning of a new picture. Um, new in the sense that, that it's a different perspective. It's the same story of history but, but from a different perspective. And really I think one of the keys to understanding these two chapters is just going back to chapter 11 uh, verse 15 and um, just being clear about the loud voice in heaven that proclaims the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. That declaration in a sense is now going to be spelt out in these next two chapters. It's very much um, an exposition through this extraordinary vision of how does the king it answers that question, how does the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ? And you're given a perspective of the kingdom of Christ in the world um, in chapter 12 and how it's established and its authority and power um, and, and its victorious progress in these last days. In Chapter 13, you have unveiled for you a perspective on the defeated kingdoms of this world mm-hmm. um, for the benefit of Christians so so that they might know what you're encountering in the world, um, understanding that you don't need to fear that this is a defeated kingdom, but be careful because it's a deceptive kingdom as well. So Chapter 13 will in, unveil for us um a perspective on how do you how do you engage with the world? how do you live in the world but not of the world how do you how do you maintain your faithful, obedient walk with the Lord in the midst of a kingdom that's trying to deceive and overpower and all of these things mm. um, and it's um, it would have been incredibly encouraging for Christians in the first century mm. understanding um What's behind this persecution in Asia Minor? What's behind this enormous power of Rome? Um, How is the kingdom going forward in the midst of this? Um, It would have been enormously encouraging, but just to recognise that that, that Jesus has won, that the victory is complete, um, that his kingdom is established, but beware that that there's there's um, kingdoms that are fronted by me- powerful men um, and powerful systems, but um, behind that is a defeated enemy who's w- wanting to deceive and cause havoc, etc. Okay, so what we'll what we'll do now is let let Hannah read chapter twelve um, to us, and then we'll come back and talk about it.
1: Revelation chapter twelve, the woman and the dragon. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days and there was war in heaven Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or satan who leads the whole world astray he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus.
0: Okay. The very first verse of chapter 12 is very interesting, in my opinion. Um, And it it, it introduces an idea to us that that you would easily skip over and not even pay attention to. Mm. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. Now, this is a new way for John to introduce a vision. He hasn't used this word before, I don't think. It's very, very significant here. This word sign, what is a sign? Um, I want to take a few minutes just to talk about signs. Mm-hmm. So um, signs point to the meaning of hidden things, mm-hmm. like the so so the reality is not the sign, mm. a sign points to another reality. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so for example, in John's gospel, it's often been um, uh, analysed and, and understood as a book of signs, where Jesus is introducing signs on the earth that point to a heavenly re- re- reality about who he is. And we'll talk about an example in a minute. But Signs are very much a part of how God communicates to human beings. Mm-hmm. Signs and wonders, you hear that said all the time, but we mm-hmm. often don't think about what actually is a sign.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So in, in John's Gospel, it works like this. Um, Jesus will perform or do something or enact something that's a sign on the earth mm-hmm. that reflects a heavenly reality.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what we have here is the opposite which is very unusual, what you have here is a sign in heaven. See Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. So you've got a wondrous sign appeared in heaven. Now, Mm -hmm. that's pointing away from itself to an earthly reality. So something about signs is they Mm -hmm. always bring together heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. Now, in the Gospels, it works from the direction of earth to heaven. But Mm -hmm. here you have the sign in heaven, but it's going to explain a reality that's taken place on the earth. Um, That's a really important thing to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Signs reveal the glory of things too. So when we talk about the glory of something, the true nature of something.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So um, a sign, in the the case of Jesus in the Gospels, it's revealing Jesus, Mm -hmm. who he truly is. These signs point to the fact that he's, the beloved Son of the Father, that he's mm. the Messiah of Israel, that he's, you know, all, all of these, all of these things that that he, he does through his ministry mm. are, are signs that point to the true nature of who he is. So the same is true here. This is a sign that's going to point to the true nature of something, the true glory of something. And in this case, in chapter 12, we're going to see the glory of the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. That's, that's, that's what's going to be explained here and pointed out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, a good example of a sign, if you, if you want to move from sort of theological theory to a, a, an actual example is um, the beginning of John's Gospel. And it's interesting that John, the Gospel writer, mm-hmm. is the, is, it's very central to his Gospel signs. Yeah. Um, we, we've got the same person here. Um, talking about signs in relation to, to to these prophetic visions that he's he's getting, but at the beginning of John's gospel, there's a really really beautiful and powerful story about the wedding at Cana. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think it, when you when you look at the structure of John's gospel why why is that story brought right to the very front? Mm-hmm. I think it's chapter two it's right at the very beginning after the introduction it's the very first sort of real life event that Jesus is involved in mm-hmm. um, the point the point of the whole story is that it's a sign um, mm-hmm. Jesus um, turning up to a wedding and participating and providing abundantly mm-hmm. um it, it, it's sort of a sign of the of the true meaning of everything Jesus is going to do from that point on. It's mm. it's giving you an insight into the heavenly plan and purpose of God in sending Jesus into the world and what what his um what his role is what where God's heart is mm. in this mission that Jesus has been sent on. So you know. A wedding is, is an incredibly powerful sign. That idea of two people bound by covenant mm. in love together, gathering to celebrate with everyone that's special to them.
2: Mm.
0: It's sort of like God saying, "That's why my boy is here. Mm. That's why my boys come to the earth. We're enacting that on a heavenly cosmic scale." Mm. Um, it's really explaining to you the meaning of the incarnation. It's Jesus' glory. His glory is that He is the bridegroom in a sense, but He's also mm.
2: um,
0: so. so uh, in this story, he, He's the um, supplier of the um, the new wine, mm. but He's also, in a sense, the new wine itself. There's so many levels on which that this this sign works. Um, and it's interesting because that picture of um, Jesus as a bridegroom obviously reemerges in the book that we're looking at at mm-hmm. the end of Revelation 2. Enough about signs, but we need to pay attention for this reason. What's going on in heaven is pointing out to us or pointing towards a reality that's happened on the earth or is happening on the earth. Mm-hmm. So... Let's first of all get the heavenly picture and then apply it to its earthly reality.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So what's the picture we see? It's a two part there's two parts to these um, two parts to this picture. Verse one and two introduces us to the to the first part. and then another sign appeared in heaven verse three and we'll talk about the second part. So essentially what you have here, is a woman is the first sign, and we'll talk about the, the elements in that picture,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and a dragon is the second sign. Where does your mind go to if you're thinking about great conflicts in the story of history mm-hmm. where you have a woman and some sort of dragon monster type serpent beast? What? Well,
1: well, serpent makes me think
0: of Genesis. Yeah, I'm and I'm sure, I'm sure that this, this story is being framed in the context of a conflict that's happened throughout history on the earth between a woman and a, a, and a serpent, or in this case a dragon. In in ancient Hebrew, the words are often interchangeable between monster, dragon, serpent, mm-hmm. etc. Um, so keep keep that Genesis picture in mind from, from the fall where the judgment of God is that um, this woman will trample on the head of a serpent
2: and mm-hmm.
0: crush it, try and crush it, mm-hmm. and the serpent will be trying to bite this woman's heel. It, it, there's going to be constant conflict between uh, the demonic spiritual forces Aligned to Satan and humanity mm. through mm. history, um, that's what's being picked up here. So, um, what are the features of the picture? Just describe the picture for me, Hannah, of her, of this woman. What what are we seeing?
1: She's clothed with the sun. The moon's under her feet, and she has a crown of twelve stars on her head.
0: Okay, what's that making you anything? Anything come to mind there?
1: Anything um, that we've
0: seen before?
1: Sun, moon and stars make me think about creation.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about number 12?
1: Um, 12, like the complete number of people, like the 12 tribes and the
0: 12 yeah. disciples. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's right. We've seen it in relation to the old covenant people and the new covenant people. It, it, the sets of 12 often yeah. connect to that idea. So um, I think very much here you've got a picture of a woman um, crowned with um, 12 stars on her head. I think this is a picture of Israel, okay? this is This is a woman who represents Israel, and the 12 stars, like you say, represent the 12 tribes the sun moon and stars reference is very interesting because that's picking up old testament um uh dreams Mm. that go way back to genesis and joseph and it's Mm. also picked up in the prophets too do you remember when joseph um came to his parents and his brothers about a dream that he had Mm. and it was like the sun moon and stars bowed down to to him do you remember
1: I remember the one about the wheat or something. Isn't there one?
0: Oh, there's one about that that as well. But there, there's another one about sun, moon, and stars. And mm-hmm. it the idea is, um, you know, when you think of Joseph's family, that is the original Israelite family. Because mm-hmm. that 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 is the twelve tribes. Um, mm-hmm. and so sun, moon, and stars, once you get into the prophets, is often used as a picture of of um Israel. Yeah. Um, what else about this woman?
1: She's pregnant and cried out in pain, about to give birth.
0: Okay, so you've got this interesting picture where she's uh, pregnant, and in, yeah, in the midst of childbirth. Now, again, that's a picture that you see right through the Old Testament prophets. um, um that's often connected. With the promise of deliverance, that is, mm-hmm. Israel struggling, Israel suffering, but God's promises out of childbirth will, you know, out of the pains of childbirth will will come um, a messianic figure that will mm-hmm. rescue and deliver and save, etc. Yeah. Um, let's let's go and have a look just quickly because these two verses are so. Um, significant Mm -hmm. um at a couple of little verses from isaiah 7 and isaiah 9 that back that up so isaiah 7 verse 14
1: just verse 14 yeah yeah therefore the lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him emmanuel
0: okay what's interesting about that verse What's the key word that you see again in that verse? A sign? Yeah. Yeah, that, that that this virgin who will give birth to a child will be a sign um, and he'll be called Emmanuel. That is, it's a sign of um, on the on the earth something's going to happen that's a sign of Emmanuel, that God wants to dwell with men, share his life with human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a picture of the promised Messiah. Uh, have a look at Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. What's the birth of this figure being connected to the establishment of?
1: I didn't hear what you said because I was reading the rest of the verse. Oh, did I
0: interrupt before you'd finished? It's Sorry, fair. close enough. Um, close. W- w- I'll say my question again. Yeah. What did? W- what does this verse connect this birth of a baby to? The establishment of a kingdom. A kingdom the establishment of a kingdom. So um, what we're seeing here, if we go back to Revelation, what we're seeing here is pictures that, that have incredible significance in terms of the messianic promise that a child's going to be born, that, that will be the means by which God establishes his kingdom on the earth. Now, that's the theme of this chapter. That's mm-hmm. what this chapter is going to be about. So out of this out of Israel will come one a messiah who will establish God's rule on the earth. Um that's that that's where we've got now. A new sign appears. Mm-hmm. Another sign appeared in heaven. What's this second sign? The dragon. Okay. What are the features of this dragon?
1: Enormous, red. Yep. Seven heads, 10 horns. Seven crowns on his head.
0: Yep. Okay, let's stop there for a second, then we'll read a bit of uh, some more features. I, anything that you could, you know, we've seen some of these ideas before about horns and crowns. What do they point to?
1: Um, horns is power.
0: Yep, often associated with power. Yep.
1: Um, is seven heads inside or... It could Wisdom be. or something?
0: It could be. It, um, sometimes it's associated with that. Sometimes it's just associated with the idea of something that manifests in different ways. So often, often Seven Heads re, um, in Old Testament prophecies relates to, you know, different kings that are all part of the one kingdom, mm. etc. that type of picture. Mm. So um, it could, yeah, I I think both of those interpretations are probably valid or helpful. And crowns, Mm. obviously, is about authority. Mm. So whatever we could say about this this red dragon, it's enormous. So impressive, Mm. powerful,
2: Mm.
0: incredible authority. Now, Mm. we don't need to guess about... um, what this dragon is or who it is because because John says it really explicitly later in the chapter. Mm-hmm. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. That's mm-hmm. verse 9. So we know that this figure is Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, two quick things to say. One is we need to recognise S- Satan is an angelic figure of incredible significance power and authority. Um, that's important to understand in the context of what follows. Um, mm-hmm. we're, gonna, we're going to learn um, a little bit more about this figure in the next couple of verses. So what happens in verse 4? Verse
1: His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth.
0: Okay. Again, I think, I think that we can be... Um, we can say some quite clear things about what's going on here too. So something goes on in heaven. This is something that doesn't happen on the earth, but in the sky or in heaven. Mm. Um, um, the tail of the dragon sweeps a third of the stars out of the sky. Now, what if what are stars? What if stars represented through these prophecies?
1: They often mean angels. Angel,
0: yeah, angels. So I, I think this. Uh, my interpretation of this is what you have is a rebellion that happens in heaven
2: mm.
0: led by the great dragon mm. that sweeps a third of the angels up in the rebellion. Mm. And basically you see um, them flung to the earth. That is the, um, this, this rebellious kingdom
2: mm.
0: moves its base to, to the earth. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to learn more about why and how it, uh, as, as we continue. Mm-hmm. But you have a heavenly rebellion that ends up on the earth mm-hmm. that catches up a third, a third of the angels is how I would understand. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is what is behind the kingdom of this, this world.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What happens next?
1: Um, he's waiting for the woman to give birth so that he might devour the child.
0: Okay, so we're now seeing the two pictures of the dragon and the woman come together, mm. and the dragon's attention is with the child. Mm. What might be what might be being explained there? Why does the dragon want to devour the child? Threatened by it? Yes, because b- because. He recognizes in this child the great redemptive purpose of God in history. That this this child has incredible significance, um, as 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 not not just someone who comes from God, but someone who himself is going to establish a kingdom that will overthrow the kingdom of the world. So this is someone that, that's deeply threatening to the dragon, mm-hmm. and. So, um, the, the, again, the idea of a child, that idea of while this, while this child is vulnerable or whatever, the dragon tries to attack and devour it. Mm. Okay. The, to me, this is clearly messianic. This is a picture from heaven. What you're seeing here is a picture from heaven's perspective. That is, when we say heaven, from the perspective of the spiritual reality that we can't see with our eyes. Yeah. You're seeing a perspective on the incarnation. What did the incarnation mean for for Satan, for the angels, from a heavenly perspective? Well, it was an enormous threat. Mm. Um, And from the very beginning, dark satanic forces Mm. attempted to destroy this this little baby who comes into the earth. Um, you, can you think of gospel stories that reflect this in terms of Jesus' birth?
1: Herod tries to kill
0: Jesus? Yeah, that's where my, that's where my mind goes, that picture of Herod trying to kill all the babies in, in Bethlehem mm-hmm. is, is the, the earthly counterpoint to this dragon trying to devour the child. How does he do it? Well, he uses a king in this world. Yeah. To Herod, actually try and wipe out all the babies.
1: Herod's kind of like a sign that points to Satan.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we'll see that lots and lots and lots. That mm. um, Satan very rarely works directly. Mm. He works through proxies, through kingdoms, empires, kings, mm. Mm. rulers. Um, and in that case, you see um, the devouring intention of the dragon mm. manifest in Herod's action towards these little babies. Mm. Okay, um, that's, that's just one example. Now, the messianic picture builds. What happens next?
1: And the woman gives birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter.
0: Again, so this picture that we've seen straight out of Isaiah chapter 9, mm. that, that this messianic little baby... Is going to establish an incredibly powerful rule. Mm. Scepter's scepter is a symbol of rule, and iron mm. is a symbol of strength. So you're, yeah. you're talking about um, uh, a child that's going to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Yeah. Keep going.
1: The child was snatched up to God and to His throne.
0: Okay. So again, this is this is a perspective from heaven. Mm. So don't confuse this with with what's going on in the earth. God doesn't sort of come down and whisk up baby Jesus and hide him in heaven, mm-hmm. but but from a heavenly perspective, what might this mean? What does God do in relation to this child from a heavenly perspective?
1: Protects the yeah, child.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is a picture of God's protection that he that he that he will protect this child,
2: mm-hmm.
0: keep it close to himself. Um and not let anyone hurt, hurt hurt, or snatch away this child. It belongs to him. Mm-hmm. Um, how that's manifest on the earth in terms of Jesus' life is that that father walks with him every day completely. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, nothing can get between the, the bond of Jesus and his father as he grows up. And mm-hmm. um, in, in all his human vulnerabilities, father is with him and the power of God's spirit overshadows his life every step of the way mm-hmm. that's what's been talked about here now what happens is the dragon recognizes it can't touch the
2: mm-hmm. messiah mm-hmm.
0: only only it's really interesting in scripture the only times that we see in the gospels satan mm-hmm encounter Jesus directly, mm. the initiative is with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That, that's really important to understand. It's not like Satan can come roaring in and oppress Jesus or challenge him or take him on um, whenever he wants. He can't. Yeah. So the classic case is the temptation. Yeah. That's the moment Jesus and Satan encounter each other, raw, like gloves off. Yeah. And that initiative, that happens because the Holy Spirit drives Jesus out into the desert. Yeah. And all the gospel pictures point to the fact that Jesus is the aggressor. He seeks out the encounter. It's not Satan in control of things. Yeah. That's really important to understand. And it's something that uh, I was. we were talking to Chloe, my other daughter, if you don't know, <laughs> um, just yesterday about spiritual warfare um,
2: yeah.
0: and recognising um, the fact that the initiative is with God's people, yeah that, that that Satan can't come flying in and just do whatever he wants to Christians anymore.
2: Mm.
0: Um, he can't get in to yeah. in between your relationship with Jesus and yourself. He can't accuse you. We'll see that later in the chapter. Mm. He can't destroy your life or, or make it so that you're lost, lost to God. All of those things, he, he, he's on a leash. Mm. Um, it, the, the power and the initiative is ours.
2: Mm.
0: Not to defeat Satan. He's already defeated. We mm. win by a victory of faith holding our ground. We'll see more about that later. I won't get into that now. But that's a really that's a really important thing to see. So mm-hmm. you have this son protected by God um, who's going to establish this rule. Now, verse 6 is interesting. What happens next?
1: The woman fled to the desert to a place prepared for her.
0: Yet, keep going.
1: Um, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days.
0: Now, what's really interesting here is... We know the gospel story. How's the victory won?
2: The cross.
0: The cross. The cross isn't talked about here. It's very interesting. This is a heavenly perspective Mm. that's really talking about um, demonic attack and and the clash of these two kingdoms, the Mm -hmm. kingdom of the world run by Satan and the kingdom of of our Lord and his Christ that Jesus will um, establish, Mm -hmm. that will overthrow Mm -hmm. this um, demonic kingdom. Mm -hmm. And what we see here is there's not a, the incarnation is significant Mm -hmm. because from the perspective of um, the angelic or the heavenly perspective, the incarnation is about Jesus entering enemy territory. Can you see? Uh-huh. So, so that's about a baby being born and snatched up, etc. Uh-huh. The next thing that, that happens, the, the next thing that's focused on in terms of the story is Jesus ruling with an iron scepter, establishing a rule with an iron scepter, which really speaks of his ascension back to heaven. Because from an angelic perspective, that's where um, Satan is going to be cast down once and for all, mm. um, thrown out of heaven once and for all. He can't come and go anymore. That's our to defeat and the establishment of a new kingdom. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting that um, from the perspective of demonic attack, the, the incarnation and the ascension are, are, are the two elements of Jesus' story or the Messiah's story that are really being focused on here. When we get to the next bit here, what you need to understand is that Jesus' work on the cross is being presumed. That is, that's not the focus of this story. Yeah. Um, What we're seeing is the work of the cross being applied Uh in heaven. Yeah. There's a a heavenly application that's extraordinary. Yeah. And there's also... application and outcomes that will flow on the earth as well from this once and for all victory that Jesus establishes by the cross. But the focus of this chapter is not on the, the event of the cross itself. It's, it's about explaining the consequences. the consequences, the power that that event has in establishing the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ on the earth and overthrowing the kingdom of this world, mm-hmm. and the the way it's going to be done is that there'll be things happening on in heaven and things happening on the earth. Yeah. So so John's quite um, systematic here about working through um, earthly outcomes and implications and heavenly ones. So he starts in verse um, six. By focusing, his vision moves to the what happens to the woman. So mm-hmm. this woman is Israel. Yep. Yeah. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for twelve hundred and sixty days. Now we've seen this twelve hundred and sixty before. Mm-hmm. What does it point to?
1: Approximately three and a half years. Which is the somewhere in the middle.
0: <laughs> right. It's the middle of this seven years which is John's um, symbolic time frame Uh for the period of the last days. Yeah. That is between Jesus' victory on the cross and his return to the earth. Uh Whenever you see three and a half, think you're in the middle of the last days. Uh That's why he keeps bringing this up. So what's John saying about Israel in these last days?
1: That they will be... Taken care of by God?
0: Yes. They will be preserved and protected and provided for by God. And the imagery is of fleeing into the desert. Now, this is a picture that comes out of Israel's history again and again and again. Where Mm -hmm. have we seen Israel flee into the wilderness?
1: After they left Egypt?
0: Right. It's the story of the Exodus. It's also the story of Jesus. Jesus, in a sense, in his life, enacts the story of Israel. So do you remember that uh, after his life was threat threatened by Herod where did Mary and Joseph flee to
2: Egypt
0: Egypt which is a picture in a sense of fleeing into the wilderness escaping yeah. into the wilderness so um, um, this is this this is picking up imagery from mm-hmm. the story of Israel to explain Israel's circumstance in these last days mm-hmm. they're not forgotten about mm-hmm. they're preserved and protected by God. Mm-hmm. What is the wilderness experience like for, for Israel, though? I
1: don't know.
0: If you, if you were to talk to Israelites who went through those 40 years, what sort of things do you think they'd say about the experience? Great time? <laughs> Not
2: fun. fun. times? Not fun.
0: No, no. It was a really difficult yeah. time it was a time where they they were often under God's judgment where they were they were often um uh, rebuked for their hard-heartedness
2: yeah
0: um this period in the wilderness is a very it, God looks after them and is gracious mm-hmm. and keeps hold of them and provides manner and um, his pillar of Fire and 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 the cloud that descends watches over his people. But living with a holy God in the wilderness was not easy.
2: Mm.
0: It was difficult. It involved ju- sometimes quite terrible judgment.
2: Mm. Um,
0: and, and, and it was a time where Israel was quite hard towards God's leading. Mm. They found it difficult. Very interesting in the context of John trying to give the church in the first century, an understanding of Israel's experience in the last days. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so that's that's Israel, and we'll return to this picture of the woman right at the end of the chapter, where something really interesting happens in relation to her offspring.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What happens next? There was war. In heaven. So the perspective now moves to an application of Jesus' victorious once and for all work on the cross in heaven. Mm-hmm. What does it result in?
2: The
0: War. Da- oh. Yeah? T- tell me the bits.
1: <laughs> um, I was just going to say the dragon being thrown to earth.
0: Yeah. Who by?
1: By Michael and his angels.
0: Right. So Michael's this... Uh, um, Powerful archangels. So, if you go through the the Old Testament, there's a number of angels. That uh, uh, the angelic world is a hierarchy, mm-hmm. and right at the top are archangels. Mm-hmm. They're like the, the generals and commanders of uh, of angelic forces. They have huge power. Mm-hmm. They're incredible beings, yeah. and Michael is the one throughout the Old Testament that is the protector um, and the defender of Israel. Uh-huh. Um, Uh, He goes to war on behalf of Israel in the heavenlies. And Daniel encounters Michael in a number of his uh, prophetic visions. Mm -hmm. So you have Michael fight Satan and cast him out. So the implication is that it's not, this is an application of Jesus' work on the cross. Mm -hmm. What what happens is the blood of Christ Mm
2: -hmm.
0: is brought to heaven And, and it's, the, it's that power that Michael applies in hurling Satan to the earth. Yeah. It's because of what Jesus has done yeah. that Michael is able to defeat this other great archangel Satan and all his forces. Mm-hmm. And he's cast out. Um, um, he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The mm-hmm. great dragon was hurled down, uh, hurled to earth and his angels with him. Okay, so that's the picture. Um, what's, the, what's the implication? Well, we'll see, we'll see that developed in verse 10 in a couple of ways. Um, then you hear this voice from heaven. Now has come, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. So this defeat establishes God's um, kingdom in Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who is that? Satan. Satan. One of the interesting things is Satan means accuser. Mm-hmm. That, that's, what, that's what his name actually means. And yeah. the implications of what's happened, that is Satan being cast to the earth, is this one who accuses them, that is the brethren, uh, before God day and night has been hurled down. So what's the massive outcome of Satan being defeated and cast to the earth as a result of Jesus' work on the cross.
1: He can't accuse people to God.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the, his number one, you know, his ace in the pack, his his one wood. his number one strategy mm. for um Disruption? Disruption and distortion and corruption and messing up what God is doing is to accuse the brethren. Yes. So he, he had, prior to this, he had authority to come and go from the earth. He could, he could go into the throne room and, and accuse human beings on the earth uh-huh. before their God. Because, because he had legal grounds too. You know, what he was saying about what people were doing was actually what they were doing. Yeah. Um, it's worth, I think, having a look in the Old Testament how, how this understanding of Satan's role and function works. We don't need to overly dwell on it, but there's a couple of really important places that show you how this works. So Job chapter 1, verse 6 to 12 is quite helpful.
1: One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger.
0: Okay, we don't need to talk about it so much. I think it's relatively clear. So what what Satan has an authority mm-hmm. um, to turn up in the throne room and and attack, mm-hmm. accuse
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um, God's covenant people um, before God Himself, mm-hmm. and that that ability is taken away from him mm-hmm. by Jesus' work on the cross. And we'll we'll have a look at how Jesus makes a difference in a second. What about Zechariah 3? It's a similar picture in a sense. Verse 1.
1: Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him.
0: So again, this is a this is a vision, Zechariah's vision of Joshua the high high priest and it's um next to Next to this figure, Joshua, in the vision, from mm. a heavenly perspective, you have the angel of the Lord on one side and Satan on the, on the other. And, mm. it, again, it's a picture of this, this idea that um, Satan's just trying to disrupt mm. as, as the accuser, mm. um, get in the middle of God's work and condemn his, con- condemn his covenant people. Mm. Um, so that's, that's what's going on. Now, the work of the cross means that human beings cannot be accused like that anymore. And the New Testament, all all over the place, um, makes a lot of this. Unsurprisingly, John is one of the main writers that talks about this. So he he talks about... in, in his letter, 1 John, he talks about the idea of um, you can walk in the light now with a clear conscience, mm. confessing to God your sins. Mm. You, you know, walking in the light isn't about being perfect. Mm. It's about the fact that you can bring all that mess to God and it's perfectly dealt with and no one accuses you, no one's there to accuse you anymore. In fact, mm. the, the incredibly powerful thing in the beginning of Chapter 2 of that letter Rather than accuser, we now have an advocate Mm. before God. Jesus has become our advocate and he stands in our place and defends us and represents us and Mm. and covers us by by his life and his righteousness so that we don't need to feel guilt anymore.
2: Mm.
0: We can come in faith just coughing up all the mess no, Jesus has perfectly dealt with it on in, in the cross. Mm-hmm. Romans 8 makes the same point, doesn't it? There is no condemnation for those mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Um, there's no one condemning us anymore. Instead, in Jesus, we have an advocate, someone mm-hmm. who's our defender, who's gone before us in every way, mm-hmm. um, has provided for, um, uh, shared his life, given us this garment of of his own righteousness, mm. um, and that's what God sees when he sees us. So this is a point where we, we, we should stop and just say something really clear to everyone who's listening. Be 100% clear in your own life. To accept accusation mm. is to be deceived, yeah. that you are the judge of yourself. You're uh-huh. not. Yeah. We, we are not people who accept, Christians do not need to accept accusation or Mm -hmm. be overwhelmed by guilt anymore, Mm -hmm. at all. Um, Conviction is a different thing. God pointing out, deal with this, deal with that. What's the difference? Well, conviction actually draws you into his life. It says come closer, receive, believe accusation and guilt does the opposite that's a message that says you cannot enter life you're disqualified yeah that's not the christian experience conviction is come into my holy life now clean up Mm. draw near
1: and you can you can tell conviction specific and guilt is mostly vague
0: yeah yeah that's a good point that's a good point as well that 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 Jesus is constantly working on those little bits of our life that mm-hmm. he wants to shape and form to be more and more like his character and it's yeah. precise it's not an overwhelming his his yoke is easy and his burden is light it's not yeah. an overwhelming thing to carry yeah it's a thing that actually lightens your life mm. frees you up yeah and 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 like you say it's clear and specific mm. um it, it, that is that is such an important thing to understand. Um, to say it one more time, another way: What can Satan do to Christians? Well, understand this is something Satan cannot do. Satan cannot speak to God about you at all. Yeah. Totally not. So. Can Satan oppress Christians? Of course he can. Hmm. But what's happening? He's speaking to you about you, hmm. not God about you.
1: And, and only if we allow it.
0: That's he, right. He can't right. force himself in. So, so how, do you deal, how do you deal with an enemy that's speaking to you about you, you know, bringing guilt and burden and accusation or whatever? If that's coming to you, the victory is a victory of faith. Well, our mm. job is not to defeat Satan, our job is to stand our ground. Mm. He's already defeated. That is trust what Jesus has accomplished. Mm. When those when those accusations come, it's about that's that's what putting on the armor of God is all about. Mm. You have armor to defend yourself. Mm. That is the word of God, the revelation about Jesus, trust in who he is and what he's done. And say to heaven and earth, speak it out loud. Mm. You have no place accusing me. Mm. I, I'm, I'm clothed in Jesus' righteousness and I'm completely okay. And I can draw near into the Holy of Holies, God's own presence, and share his life. Mm. Nothing to do with me because yeah. Jesus has given me the free gift of his life and I trust in the power of his blood, mm. his sacrifice. That, that it made atonement for me. That's what's going on in the cross. It changes everything.
1: Yeah. You have to let God speak to you about you instead.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Choose which voice you listen to and, and choose strongly. I'm not going to listen to that voice. Hmm. I'm going to listen to to the voice of a true father. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. We can completely choose which voice we listen to. Okay. Um there's a, back to the text, there's a shift now that's really interesting. So we've seen just just to gather our thoughts, we've seen one application on the earth, the work of the cross, and that is Israel's being forced to flee into the wilderness
2: mm-hmm.
0: where God is protecting and sustaining Israel in a difficult place. That's one outcome on the earth. Mm-hmm. An outcome in heaven is: there's been a war, and Satan, the accuser, has been cast down Mm -hmm. and utterly defeated. Yeah. Now we see another application of the victory of Jesus, but this time on the earth. Mm -hmm. Look at eleven to twelve. Eleven and twelve is stunning. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Who are they?
1: The
2: angels.
0: Possibly, and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Who else might they be?
1: Yeah, it's talking about Christians.
0: Yeah, I think this is talking about the brethren. Those who were accused are now able to overcome Mm-hmm. By the blood of the land, and, and understand you, you're being. This is very theologically tight. He's telling you three ways mm-hmm. Jesus' victory is being applied on the earth through the church. One,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so so understand. There's a once and for all aspect to Jesus' victory. Mm-hmm. He, it happened on the cross, but the application is a more and more and an again and again thing that happens in the life of Christians every day. Yeah, and so what you have here is. Three ways this victory is applied. Firstly, um, they overcome by the blood of the lamb. Mm-hmm. That, that is the application of the cross in the life of the Christians. That is the blood of Jesus covers all sin, deals with sin once and for all. That is separation from God. Mm-hmm. Conscience is clear. We're washed clean. Um, we, we receive righteousness as a garment. These are some of Paul's pictures to say the same thing. Mm. Um, second way, they overcome him by the word of their testimony. So how else is the victory of Jesus applied in the world? What else is going forward, applying the victory of Jesus?
1: The gospel proclaimed? Yes,
0: the proclamation of the gospel as we bear witness, that is the application of Jesus' victory on the earth. Mm. It's not the victory itself. Mm. Yeah. We're bearing witness yeah. Yeah. to the yeah. victory. We're, we're applying it, um, living it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we're not taking our cities for God. They're taken.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we're proclaiming something that's already resolved. Yeah. That's what the testimony is about. So we're saying you're already. We're saying to the world, in a sense, you're already defeated. Yeah. The issue is: Are you going to get down on your knees, or, or are you going to still take on um, this great conqueror who's dealt with, dealt with everything? Yeah. Or um, a more gracious picture is: God's love is there for you. Yeah. Embrace it. Receive it. It's mm. it's it's just waiting. Okay, that's the second way the application of the victory on the earth Mm -hmm. is expressed in the life of the church. Um, The stunning third way is they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Mm -hmm. So how else is the victory applied? This is a paradox.
2: There's
1: no fear in death. No fear
0: in death. So Christians are able to lay down their lives, Mm -hmm. willingly die, um knowing that there's nothing to fear you can't be separated from god even if you kill
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and that expresses the victory of the cross because the cross ultimately uh, the, the the cross ultimately ends in a resurrection that mm-hmm. is out of death comes life mm-hmm. and that's why christians don't need to fear death anymore mm-hmm. that death does, has lost its um sting as it's as paul says
2: mm-hmm.
0: So what's the outcome? Therefore rejoice you heavens. Why are the heavens rejoicing?
1: They no longer have to deal with.
0: Yeah, Satan's cast out. But look what the next bit is. But woe to the earth and the sea. Why?
1: The devil has gone down to
2: you.
0: Right. So so there's a sense in which the heavens are rejoicing because they've been cleansed of this defiling power. That's, that's been able to come and go. But woe to the earth because the devil is now on the earth and he knows that his time is short. That is, he knows he's been defeated. He knows his power is limited.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and he's period. just raging. So what, what, how will his rage be, be expressed? Well, that's what we'll see in the next verses. When the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. Mm-hmm. So who's he take out his rage on? He's
1: trying to oppress Israel?
0: Yeah. This is, this is something that's stunning for us in the 21st century, remembering back in relatively recent history. But anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism is satanic. Mm-hmm. That's a really important thing to understand that the hatred of God's chosen people emanates from the dragon. Mm. Um, and we've seen the, 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 the awful evil of anti-Semitism in the world, not just in the 20th century. Anti-Semitism didn't begin with Hitler. If you do your study of history, yeah. um, it goes right back to the Roman period, it goes right back through medieval Europe, it goes right back to through the emergence of militant Islamic states in the Middle East. There's there's a history of the last days that is littered with anti-Semitism in every generation, Mm. and this is the dragon lashing out. Um, The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle um, so she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. So what's the promise? What does is, what is John see here? That
1: Israel will be
0: taken care of. Yeah, yeah. Deli- they'll, they'll, Israel will be delivered. Um, and, and as soon as you see stuff like time, times, and half a time, it's another three and a half years yeah. image. Um, symbol we're talking about th- this will happen in the middle of the last days
2: mm.
0: so so now you have a dragon that can only only really rage on the earth and he's taking out um he's taking out his anger um, specifically on israel continuing we're nearly to the end of the chapter and then we'll have a break then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river uh, th- this is quite interesting because you have sort of these um ways that the dragon who's now being described as a serpent um is trying to uh, damage israel and and the and the imagery is all exodus type imagery mm-hmm. um you you know nature being used and then the earth actually helps israel in a sense um sw- swallowing the river um it's all imagery that points to the fact that just like God protected Israel and swallowed up the Egyptian, um, mm. the Egyptian charioteers in the Red Sea, mm. you, you have him again protecting um, his covenant people from the attacks of the mm. of the great dragon. Um, and this this provision of um, on the wings of eagles again, you see that right through. Um you write through the um, stories of the Exodus as well. It's a recurring picture. Um, and if you go through even the stories of Israel, that, that idea of being protected in the desert is, is the story of so many of the key figures in, in, in the story of Israel. Elijah, David, Moses, yeah. all of them went and hid in the desert at different times.
1: Can I ask, how, yeah. how do we then interpret, like, if... Israel is being promised to be protected. Yeah. How do we then interpret all the Israelite, I mean, all the Jewish people who have been killed and whatever, like in the Holocaust or whatever?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, What Actually, it'll come up in the next chapter a a bit as well. We see a prophecy from Jeremiah, which is when God's judgment comes on Israel, his promise is to preserve a remnant. Yeah. Now it doesn't mean all of Israel don't suffer. Yeah, It doesn't mean many Israelites don't die, but he's not going to let his people go. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: so it's, um, this idea of protection and provision is not, um, it's not like Superman is going to fly in and everyone's going to be, be physically rescued. Yeah. Often, um, often, throughout um, the history of the Old Testament, the promise of protection will mean Israel endure great suffering. Mm. They'll suffer. People will die.
1: But they won't be extinguished.
0: They won't be extinguished and and a remnant will always be preserved and God won't forget his people. And the ones that have died will be preserved in Abraham's bosom. That is, even, even after death, the idea is, um, you're not lost to God. The last verse in the chapter is really significant, so let's just read that carefully. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. So the implication is mm-hmm. uh, okay there's 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 other offspring of the of the woman here
1: mm-hmm.
0: that who might that be? Well
1: it says in the second part, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So, so Christians. Christians.
0: And that isn't that really interesting how Christians are being described as the other offspring of the woman.
1: Yeah. What, what
0: is that implica what's the implication about Christians?
1: That we're descendants of Israel. Yeah, we're out of
0: Is- We're out of God's faithful covenant people, Israel. And there's other place in the New Testament that reinforce this idea really strongly, especially Hebrews. But we're we're people of faith that have come out of Israel as well. And we're other offspring. So who's the first offspring? Who's the elder brother? Jesus. Jesus. So we're the other offspring. We're like the younger brothers and sisters, yeah. And this is a picture, you, you know, it's a picture that's picked up in the Gospels and in Paul's teaching, that idea yeah. of Jesus is like our elder brother. Yeah. He's the firstborn yeah. and we, we follow him. So what, what's happening is this dragon can't attack uh, Jesus directly. Mm-hmm. He's been unsuccessful in trying to wipe out the woman. Yeah. So he turns his attention now to the rest of the offspring, the church. Yeah. So what we're going to see in the next chapter is how the kingdom of this world continues to rage and operate against the church mm-hmm. and how we should respond or deal with it. Um, uh, we have gone on a bit, so we'll, we will make it a separate, um, a separate session. Just to finish, to sum up what I think is one of the main points from this chapter, let's just have a look at a little passage from Luke chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. I'll get Hannah to read it. The
1: 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven.
0: Okay. I think that that, that's really profound in relation to the journey we've been on with this chapter. So this is the story of Jesus with 72 of his closest followers who he sends out into Israel. Mm. He, and that is the kingdom is going forward aggressively and he gives them instructions about going out mm-hmm. and, and they go out and bring the kingdom in power.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Speaking uh, words that, that, that bear witness to the truth of the kingdom, mm-hmm. calling people to repentance, doing mm-hmm. miracles. They come back though and what are they blown away by?
1: The demons. Submit to them.
0: Right. So and this is what we're seeing, is it, isn't it? That as the kingdom of the Lord and his Christ goes forward on the earth,
2: mm.
0: a corresponding mm. spiritual reality is taking place. Mm. So on the earth, what does it look like? Well, even, even demons are listening to the words, and that blows like obeying what they're saying, and they're being cast out in Jesus' name. Mm. And and it's like the disciples are blown away by the spiritual authority that they have, yeah. But Jesus reminds them, what's going on on the earth uh, is significant. It's an is significant mm. application of the kingdom and my presence. But he goes, recognize it's a sign mm. of a spiritual reality that's even more significant. What's mm. the more significant thing?
1: Your names are written in heaven. Yeah,
0: that all of this speaks of the fact. That you belong to God, hmm. that you're that that you're you're these um, rest of the offspring. You're you're being treated like sons and daughters of the King hmm. with an inheritance and an authority hmm. on the earth um, that reflects. You're in the family. Your names are written in the book. Um, so Jesus recognizes. Yes, Satan's fall, fallen from heaven. Um, the kingdom of the world is defeated. Yeah. But the most significant thing is you belong to
2: God.